Let me invite you to return to your seat, please, and remain standing. Turn with me, please, to the Gospel of John, John chapter 15, verses 1 through 11, our text for study this morning. <clears throat> this is a fifth Sunday month, so this isn't Advent season anymore, and it's not even Epiphany Sunday yet, so we find ourselves with this one strange Sunday in the middle of the two, so we're looking at one particular verse today that I think is a, a great verse in preparation for entering into a new year. It is the last of Jesus's I am sayings, and it is the saying that he is the vine, we are the branches, and he gives us this beautiful picture. He proves to be the true vine and proves that we are true disciples as we remain and abide in him. No doubt you probably have heard this passage read and preached before, and maybe from the perspective of, of a comparison where they're comparing individuals, this person is in and this person is not in. Uh, the, many commentators write from that perspective, uh, but a few write from another perspective that I want to share with you today. I think there's another way that we can interpret uh, what Jesus is saying here, and it doesn't focus on individuals, but it focuses on our bearing fruit. Here we are about to enter into 2024, and that's exactly what the Lord asks of us. So looking different, a different interpretation. What is that interpretation? Well, let's find out. Let's give our attention to the preaching of the Word. John chapter 15, beginning in verse 1. Hear now the very Word of God. I am the vine, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples." As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks indeed. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you that you speak to us through your word and by the power of your Holy Spirit. So we would pray that you would simply open our eyes even today to behold the beauty of your gospel of grace yet again. Remind us as we end 2023 that it's all about your grace. And as we plan to enter into 2024, it's all about your grace. Do that for your glory's sake we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Please, friends, be seated. My journey to the hill country, to this particular area, 
uh, and going as a minister without call after many, many years of ministry is a long story, so I will bear you, I'll, I'll, I'll spare you the details of that. But I will simply say, when we did move here and we were waiting on the Lord to reveal to us what the next call was, we were waiting on your telephone call. While we were waiting for that, uh, I knew that I had to get a part-time job. I knew that I had to do something. Uh, because I'm just way too high energy to sit at home all day, and I needed to give my wife some sanity to get out of her hair uh, from time to time as well. So I secured a part-time job as a tour guide with a wine tour company. And so every Friday, Saturday, I, I uh, make my way to my Sprinter van, and I jump up in my van, and I drive off to pick up my, my customers for that particular day, and then I take them to various places in the wine country, and I'm explaining to them about our soil, and about our climate, and about the different AVAs, and the different varietals in our wine here because of our heat, and so forth. And I take them from winery to winery, to, uh, usually to a third one, and uh, spend the day with them, giving them an education about Texas wine. One particular day, I took eight ladies. They had gone to college together, and they were having a college reunion. And so they decided to do a wine tour. I picked them up. I got them to their first place. I got them all settled in, uh, in, in their, at their table. But I had gone to, the first stop was a tasting room. It wasn't actually a winery because there, there weren't any vines, branches, and fruit. There was no, uh, no, nothing growing outside, but it's just a tasting room because their vineyard was up in the high plains outside of Lubbock, where, by the way, about 80% of Texas wine is, is, is grown up in the, in, the, in the desert where it gets cool at night and warm during the day. I got them all situated, and I noticed that one woman suddenly became a little perplexed. She was looking all around, and I could see it in her face. She got up, she walked to this window, then she walked to that window, and I thought, something's wrong. So I skedaddled on over there, and I just walked up, and I said, is everything okay? Can I help get you something? And she said, where are the vines, and where are the branches? You can't have a vineyard, a winery, without vines and branches, she said. And I had to explain to her she was at a tasting room, not a winery, and that uh, the vines that uh, were, grown, were grown several miles away. But I later concluded this is what she wanted to know. This is what she was trying to prove to herself, that that glass that she was holding in her hand and the product in that glass came from right there. She wanted to see the vine, the branches, the fruit. She wanted to see it all to prove to her that what she was enjoying was the product of that that was right before her, right outside that window. And in many ways, friends, that's exactly what Jesus is doing here in John chapter 15. He is proving to us, proving to us that what we are consuming is because of what he has done for us, what he has given to us. He is proving to us that we are true disciples because we are in the vine. He is the vine, we are the branches. Apart from him, we can do nothing. So as it says in verse 8 of our text this morning, the Father is glorified by proving to us that this is a very real truth, that we are the true disciples of the true vine. Jesus is defining for us here what it means to be 
a true disciple. He defines that in three ways. Our union with Him, our remaining or abiding with Him, and our joy that's found in Him. He gives us a picture, a definition of what it is that a true disciple looks like. Many times, if you're like me, what we want to do is we want to make that definition for Him. Instead of resting in the grace that we are about to behold in this beautiful passage, that it's all about Christ and what Christ has done for me, not my merit, not my good works whereby I can say, hey, I'm a true disciple. What we try to do is we try to define that for others and for ourselves. If you deal and and struggle with this particular sin right over here, but that is not a sin that I struggle with, then in my mind, see, I will define a true disciple. A true disciple would never do that. They would never do that. You must not be a true disciple if you're doing that. But what I do is let myself off the hook because this this doesn't tempt me. It's not a struggle for me. But that one right over there, oh, I have that one neatly tucked right up under here. And I want to define this as that which would keep someone from being a true disciple. And I certainly don't want to use this because this is where I struggle. Jesus comes along in this particular passage for his disciples then, for us today, to prove his grace to us, to prove grace to us in this way. He is proving that it is all about him, all about what he has done. And he defines for us, he shows us, he reveals that to us, that we are actually true disciples because of the work that he has already done. He says that in verse 3, doesn't he? It begins with our union with Christ, and look what Jesus says, Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Already. A work has already been done in us, friends. A work long before we can try to come alongside and earn God's merit and earn His favor, already a work has been done. A work that washes us clean by the Word. So we understand that washing away, that cleansing, is the very righteousness of Christ that is given to us in our union with Him. Jesus begins by saying, you are a true disciple because of something already done for you, whereby now Christ is about to bear our sins on the cross, and he is dwelling in us, and we are dwelling in him. It's much like an eclipse where God looks on us and he sees a sinner that deserves to be punished, but Christ steps in the way, and he covers us cleanses us with the shedding of his blood such that now God looks at us as a righteous individual, not because of anything that we have done, but because the right and merit that that Christ has established, the work already done for us, the work of our union with Christ. Perhaps this will help. Let me, let me share with you some things that I read this past week. It gets context. Since we're, since we're not preaching through this book is, is our custom here at Redeemer. Uh, Josephus, a name you may be familiar with, Josephus was a Jewish first century historian. He wrote many documents that give us a lot of history that what took place in the day of Christ. One thing that he gives us is a, 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 a detailed account of 
of the masterpieces that are in, in, in the temple. And Jesus ends chapter 14 by saying, rise, let's go from here. Uh, and then he, he moves to our, our passage where he begins to say, I am the true vine. Rise, let us go from here. Where, where are they rising from and where are they going to? They have been in the upper room. And in the upper room, Jesus has washed their feet. And then he has instituted the Lord's Supper, the Holy Eucharist. And then he says, rise, let's go from here. And as we continue to read, we know they make their way to the Kidron Valley, across the Kidron Valley, and begin their ascent up the Mount of Olives to go to the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus is going to pray. As they are leaving the upper room, perhaps they are passing the temple. And Jesus says, look at that. I am the true vine. Now, Josephus tells us that a masterpiece over the holy place, all in gold, in solid gold, was this huge vine that came out, and from the vine came all of these branches, and on the end of all of the branches were great big grapes. Josephus says that one grape was the size of a human man. So you can imagine the massiveness of this masterpiece that's over this particular entrance into the holy place. Now, if that is true, and Jesus is walking by now, he's walking with the 11 true disciples because Judas has now left. He went to do quickly what he had to do. So he's surrounded only by true disciples, and he says, look at that. I am the true vine. Now, they would have thought to themselves, the hearer of that day would have thought to themselves, wait a minute, wait a minute. Because of passages that we read in Jeremiah, in Isaiah, in Hosea, and a few of the Psalms, we read that Israel, ethnic Israel, was the vine of Yahweh. But in every instance that we read in Hosea, Jeremiah, Isaiah, and some of the Psalms, every one of the instances where we read that Israel is the vine of Yahweh is in the negative context. Because they are sinning and God is sending yet another prophet to come along to tell them to repent and return back to Yahweh. So perhaps they're thinking, well, every time we were referred to as the vine, it was because of our rebellion, because of our sinfulness. And just a couple of days ago, didn't he say, I am the true temple, and if you knock this temple down in three days, I will raise it again? What is going on here? Jesus is showing them the grace that has already taken place in him before a work that he even goes to accomplish to do. Look at verse 2. Every branch that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Now, if we are not looking at this as a comparison with individuals of this person that's in and that person that is not in, what do we do with that verse? Verse 2, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. The Greek word there is iros that we translate in the ESV, takes away. And that is a good translation. Another way to translate that is that he lifts up or he takes up. I think what Jesus is doing here is not giving us a comparison between individuals, but his focus is on our bearing fruit. 
And when we don't bear fruit, we're not melons that grow on the ground. So as we are clinging to this over here, while wanting to identify that over there in everyone else, Jesus says, I love you too much to allow you to keep clinging to that. I will come along and I will lift it up. And then I will cut away. I'll prune. That's how he ends verse, uh, verse 2. He prunes that it may bear more fruit. He lifts up for the purpose of making us fruit-bearing individuals. There are no fruitless disciples in Christ's kingdom. But he loves us too much to allow us to continue in our fruitlessness by lifting us up, taking us up, connecting us to himself, the, the vine, pruning away that it will bear even more fruit. So Jesus now walking past I am the vine. I am the true vine. And apart from me, you can do nothing. Because of a work that's already done. Yesterday was a beautiful day. I, I got outside because the sun was shining. And we've already had some freezing temperature up in the hinterland where I live, up in the hill country. It's already gotten below freezing up there. Everything is dormant. It's all brown and I got outside yesterday and I started trimming back stuff, started pulling out some of the dead things that I know will turn green again because that's the pattern, that's what happens. It goes dormant for a while and then suddenly as you're cutting back, as you're pruning, you're only allowing, preparing for new fruit that is coming when the temperature's warm. I didn't keep all of the stuff that I pruned. I didn't throw it on my firewood pile to burn as big logs. It's trash. It's little things that he picked up, little things that I picked up, and I threw it away, put it in the orange-capped container, because it's good for nothing. And God says, a work, friends, has already been done for us. His work, before he even went to the cross to do it, a work has already been done. Our union with Christ, whereby now he loves us to the point that he lifts us up, and even as hard as it is, prunes away because we are not fruitless disciples, but we are fruit-bearing disciples. He proves that to us in our union with him. And then he goes on, Jesus does, to prove that to us in our abiding with him. In the verses now that follow, ten times in seven verses, Jesus uses the phrase, abide in me. Synonymous words, abide in me, remain in me, dwell in me, live in me. Now that we have our eyes fixed on a work that's already done, and know that it's all about grace, what he has done for us, bringing us into union with himself, how then shall we live? We shall live in Christ. We shall abide in Christ. And he tells us in verse 4, abide in me and I in you. This is a command followed by a promise. Abide in me. Loved one, listen. It's all about grace, but grace does not give us the license then to go and live a life that we want to live so that grace may abound all the more. There is something required of us. Abide in Christ. That means in our day-to-day -day living. We're looking at these little things that we're holding on to. And we too, as he is lifting those things up, are delighting in him, cutting them away, that we might grow in our sanctification, that process of growing more and more like Christ. 
Christ every single day. So abide in Him. It calls for us to do something. But it's followed by the promise, as I abide in you. He has never left us, nor will He. He has never forsaken us, nor will He. He promises to abide in us the work of grace that simply allows us to do what it is that we have been created to do. Isn't that a beautiful gospel? Not about your merit, not about your works, not about that you're not doing this right over there while you're hiding this one over here, but it's all about grace, all about what He has done for us. I want you to, uh, to look now at verse 6, because verse 6 is, if we're, if, if we're thinking about individuals instead of fruit, uh, this could be a troublesome passage for us. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and they are burned. The command followed by a promise is for us to bear fruit and even bear more fruit. Jesus' focus here is not on individuals. This one's in, that one's out. Jesus' focus here remains on our bearing fruit. As true disciples, he comes along, lifts us up, prunes away, that we would bear more fruit and more fruit and more fruit. If we took verse 6 from the perspective of an individual instead of from the perspective of bearing fruit... Then what is the result? Well, here's one result. Jesus says, if anyone does not abide in me, then he's thrown away like a branch that withers. Then Jesus would be saying, if we're looking at this as individuals, he's in today, he's out tomorrow. He's in today because I did a great work for him, but he did something he shouldn't do, and now he's out tomorrow, and I throw him away, and I burn him. Ooh. That should cause ooh to you too, and rightly so, because that is not biblical, friends. He who began a good work in me will see it to the day of completion. I am persuaded that neither height nor depth nor any other creature shall separate me from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus my Lord. Thanks be to God. That's the gospel. The gospel is not that we're in today and out tomorrow based upon our efforts. We can't earn our salvation. We don't lose our salvation. So that interpretation is one we can take off the, off the plate. But if we're still looking at individuals instead of fruit, then Jesus perhaps could be saying, he looks like he's in, but he's really not in. He looks the part on the outside, but on the inside, he's not. Now that is biblical, isn't it? They just left the upper room, heading to the Kidron Valley, and who's not with them anymore? Judas. Judas, because he was going quickly to do what he was about to do in betraying the Savior. He was with them, but he wasn't really one of them. And Paul talks about that in, 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 uh, Gaia, or in Demas. He, he loved the things of the world more than he loved uh, the gospel. And John, the author of this particular gospel account, said they proved they, are, they proved they weren't with us because they left us. So it is biblical to think that you can look the part, you can look like a true disciple on the outside, but not be a true disciple because you are a hypocrite. That is biblical. But is that what Jesus is saying here? 
If that's what Jesus is saying here, then it is completely out of the blue. That has not been the context of what he has been saying to his disciples. But if we look at that verse, verse 6, as our bearing fruit, if we don't abide in, remain with him and continue to bear fruit, then he's going to take, he's going to lift it up, take it away, he's going to throw it away and burn it, that we can bear more fruit. If we take it that way, then it makes perfect sense that Jesus is speaking, proving to us as true disciples by his grace that we are abiding in the one who promises to never leave us or forsake us. It's all about our response to grace in bearing fruit and more fruit. There are no fruitless Christians. And so Jesus is saying, if you're fruitless, I'll come alongside because I love you too much and I'll clip it away that you can bear more fruit and more fruit and more fruit. Back in the spring, I did another tour. This happens quite often. Uh, when I'm driving my individuals around on a wine tour, they'll say, hey, Brian, how long have you been doing this? And I'll say, uh, three years now. Oh, oh, I thought you'd been doing this forever. Uh, well, what did you do before? <laughs> yeah, and I'll say, well, I, I, well, not I was, I am. I, I'm, a, I'm a Presbyterian minister. Shun activated, you know. They're thinking, oh, he probably didn't even drink and he's judging me because I'm, I'm falling down out of this little bus that he's driving me around in. And that does happen from time to time. So they're thinking, oh, I don't want to talk about that anymore, and then they won't look at it. Or the opposite. They'll make some connection. What did you do? Well, I, I, I was. I, I am a Presbyterian minister. Oh, well, in my church, you know, when they, this, and they'll try to make a connection. This one lady that uh, was with in, in, during the Lenten season, uh, she says, what did you do? I, I'm, I'm a, a Presbyterian minister. Oh, for Lent, I've given up cussing and social media, she said. And all of my friends now are emailing me because I'm not on social media and they're wondering where all of my posts with all of my filthy language is and it's not there anymore so I'm having to tell them I gave it up for Lent but only have two more weeks and then I'm done with that. <laughs> yeah, that is the very opposite of what Jesus is saying to us here. He is saying he abides with us. He abides with us. He remains, he dwells, he lives within us by his grace and because of his mercy. He has united us to himself by his grace and because of his mercy. So friends, is that a description of your life? Not that we're just trying to outlive or out-time some frustration until it's over with and then we can get back to doing what it is that we want to do, but actually living as a true disciple because he has created you to be one. Our union with Christ, abiding with Christ, and then our joy because of Christ. That's how he ends. But look before he does in verse 8. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. See, it's all about bearing fruit. True disciples are not fruitless Christians. We are fruitful Christians. And when we are bearing fruit, when we are living in union 
with him, when we are abiding with the one who abides within us, then the Father is glorified. He proves to us, as we prove to ourselves and the world around us, that we are true disciples. And these things, he says, I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Don't jump over that first one too quickly. There are two individuals there that my joy may be in you. The Savior is saying that when we do these things and the Father is glorified, when we are living in union, when we are abiding, then the Father is filled with joy. Like Zephaniah said in chapter 3 of his letter, the Father dances over us with joy. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about your life that God is looking down on you and he is filled with joy as he lifts up? cuts away, throws away, burns, and bears fruit, and more fruit, and more fruit in your life. That's our desire should be, that it was all about grace in 2023, and now it's all about grace in 2024 as we bear fruit. And then look how he ends. Not only is the Father filled with joy, but that your joy may be full. Friends, it is true that material things will bring some sense of joy to your life. Money will bring some sense of joy to your life, but it will never bring complete and full joy to your life. Only Christ can satisfy that. The fullness of joy, the completion, that my joy may be full like streams of living water boiling up from within, sealing, proving to me that I am his true disciple. That, that's the gospel. I was in Fredericksburg Friday. I'll be in Fredericksburg again Saturday. Each time I go, friends, I get to see this passage illustrated right in front of me. It's amazing having studied this, how I see this over and over again. I was there on Friday, and everything is dormant. They wait, the vine dressers wait until all of the leaves have fallen off the branches. And so now what I was seeing in some wineries were the vine that comes up out of the ground, and then all of these branches that have nothing on them, they've already produced the fruit of 2023. Now the vine dressers are starting to clip away those branches because it's dormant, and now in a few weeks you'll see, I'll see little bitty buds, little flowers all over these vines. And those little flowers will turn to branches, and those branches will be tied up into the, into the trunk, into the trellis that goes across in order to hold the, the weight of the fruit that it will bear this summer. This process that I see over and over again, this is the process that Jesus tells us here, proves to us here. My question for you in closing is this, does your life reveal that? Does your life reveal this process of being in the vine and producing, bearing much fruit because apart from him, friend, you can't do anything. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you for this sweet gospel, the gospel of grace that reminds us that it's 
a work that you have done for us, not a work that we can do or have done for ourselves. Seal that to us as we begin this new year, Father. Seal to us this grace and mercy and clip away all of those things, all of that bad fruit that we cling to, that we love to hold on to, to bring us self-satisfaction. Clip it away, burn it, and produce in us great fruit, fruit uh, that uh, is born by true disciples. Thank you for making us such. In Jesus' name, amen.